You're at the Over or Under Show. I'm your host, Ed Henderson. And man, it's a crazy world we live in. It has no shortages of rabbit holes. I'm not scared of rabbit holes. If you're not scared of rabbit holes, this show is for you. Let's see if we can jump in one and make our way back to the top. Welcome back to Over and Under. I'm your host, Ed Henderson, and thank you for downloading the podcast once again. If you were born in the 60s and possibly the 40s and 50s, you would know this country does not resemble anything remotely to what it did. So you have probably thought about this too. How did we end up where we have today because we are a much different country than we were 30, 40 years ago. I read a book some time ago. It was called The United States of Socialism, uh, written by Dinesh D'Souza. A very good book. I think he nailed it when he really went after the identity politics that are played today. And why it's so important? Well, to a Marxist or a socialist or somebody that's trying to bring this country down, you can't have people with diverse interests coming together, uniting under strength, the power, the Constitution of the United States. You don't want them to come together at the time that they're being attacked. So much better to get in there, find any divisions, exploit those divisions, and make them feel like they're serving a higher purpose. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, a house divided cannot stand. That's the premise. If you can get within your perceived enemy and you can cause division, it makes it much easier to overcome them. And I believe that's what's been going on. And just like Dinesh, I think something very decisive happened in the 60s. I think it had its roots at the turn of the 20th century, but in the 1960s, there really seemed to be a move. So before we can talk about anything that I'm talking about as far as the nature of our country or or maybe even better put, the state of our union, we really have to go back to Karl Marx, Marxism, because I do believe that is what gave birth to a lot of these opinions. It was Marx that developed critical theory it was from this you would get critical race theory. I'm not going to get into that, but Marx believed that if there would come a time when in a capitalist society, the laborers would recognize just how much they're being exploited and mistreated and that they would organically organize, rise up and overthrow the capitalist society. But Marx was but Marx was obviously wrong about it just happening organically. But we'll get into that in just a second. Let's talk about some of Marx's goals that, regardless of how it got tweaked by other people later on as they were trying to push Marxism, Marx did have some things that they did hold on to. So capitalists did not have any care for their worker other than to get them to work for the lowest possible wages to increase their profit margins. They were easily replaceable during times of unemployment. No mention of how much they were worth at times when workers were in high demand. He believed that it was incredible, an incredible exploitive relationship where there was little benefit to the worker and sheer gain for owners of the business. He believed that this unfair association between capitalists and the worker were held in place by the culture. Listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Their churches, their schools, their banks, their media. Media was probably no more than newsport, but they probably print pamphlets that they circulated. It makes me think about just recently... Uh, Joe Biden got some of the people from TikTok to push his uh, foreign agenda concerning the 
uh, Ukraine war and trying to get out his message as to what the causes of inflation were, which I thought were just absolute absurdity until I heard what how many some of these people reach. And one of them even stated that most of the people in his generation get their information from TikTok. I can neither confirm nor deny that, but the fact that he's probably got about 500,000 followers and viewers, well, you have to give some credibility to how much, I don't know, but maybe that wasn't so crazy to not consult experts, but go directly to the children of TikTok who post their stuff, do a briefing with them, and let them get your message out. The problem with Marxism, now some hundred odd years later, we've come to realize it's just absolute failure. It has not, it has not prospered anywhere Yet we still have people within our government, some people sitting in Congress and the Senate who think they've got a better version of communism. They might not use the word communism, but they are true Marxists and they know socialism eventually will go to communism. The reason that the worker did not rise up against the capitalists, and I, I don't know why, we could, we could make some assumptions. Uh, maybe it's because they felt that whatever they were compensated for for their time was good. Maybe they were more than happy with their station in life, was grateful to have a place to go to work. Maybe they did like their working conditions, and maybe they didn't like their working conditions but had no other alternatives other than to go work at a, at a factory or didn't have to be a factory. They could be working for a business owner, a furniture maker, or whatever. But they probably went to work for the same reasons you and I go to work. They, they were, it was something beneficial there for them. It sustained them. Then along comes Lenin. And should I say Karl Marx and both Lenin came from affluent backgrounds? I mean, they weren't hurting for nothing. It wasn't like they rose up from the lower strata of society. They were doing very well, as a matter of fact. But Lenin came along and, you know, he has he has embraced Marxism and is wondering why is the worker not rising up? And it it, it dawns on him, you know, if this is going to happen, we're going to have to make it happen. We're going to have to assemble, for lack of a better term, a professional agitator to replace the proletariat or the worker as identified Marx. That's what we'll have to do. We will have to put a social construct. We will have to reimagine our society, put it in place, and, and then the worker will come along and so who did uh, Lenin reach out to to try to fill the rank of the worker who would not rise up well? He was fortunate because there was a bad economy. You had a lot of disgruntled soldiers that were involved with World War I who had a bad taste in their mouth. And Lenin basically sold them on the concept that it was the evilest capitalist war that you were fighting and dying for. Well, we suggest that you take those same guns and point them towards the true oppressors who were the capitalist society of Russia at that time. And he was very successful. He stayed with Marx's game plan as far as changing all of the uh, social structures within Russia to uh, help feed this reimagined society. Lenin nationalized the school and replaced it with communist curriculum. Teachers lost their authority to discipline their students. And I think this was possibly Lenin's way of trying to get everything directed back towards the state. Anything that would have been seen as an authority above the state, I think, would have been torn down. It would be necessary for this reimagined society to, to invert a teacher's authority. 
at least one time, even in this country, believe it or not, if you were probably born in 1990, you know nothing at all of teacher authority. But I went through the public schools, and those teachers were respected. You could be thrown out of school and possibly the system for simply cursing a teacher out, let alone putting your hands on one, which you would have been arrested. But Lenin was smart to, I think, break that authority. And what he did was he re-educated these teachers to push the, the power of the state and to, re, to indoctrinate these kids. Everything was done to bring conformity of mind. Of course, religion was attacked, and Lenin had many uh, clergy executed, exiled. So, like I said, the church and his teachings would have got in the way of the socialist and eventually the communist agenda of the state. Another notable communist that would follow... Lenin would be the Italian communist Antonio Gamachi. A key concept of his agenda was hegemony, the basically your social constructs. The way current social structures were maintained was through culture, their religion, their art, their economic structure, their worldview, their educational systems. These would have to be torn down, reimagined, and eventually replaced with communist ideology. Which brings me to where I wanted to arrive at was a man by the name of Marcusa. Marcusa was a socialist. I say he's a communist. They say that he did not associate with communists, that he didn't support it. But I, I disagree because all his philosophies were very Marxist. And if you're not comfortable using the term communist uh, concerning Marcusa, you definitely can use the term socialist and Marxist because he was heavily influenced by Marxist he was heavily influenced by Lenin and Antonio Gamachi, and probably one of the bigger influences to Marcuse was a professor named Heidegger. Heidegger was a German philosopher, professor at the School of Frankfurt, who studied socialism, Marxism. Probably his biggest contribution to the philosophical world, a book entitled Being in Time, which dealt with the state of being, now, let me just tell you, as I was going over some of these philosophers, they're, they're kind of hard to follow. They're kind of hard to read. But let me see if I can break down Heidegger the best that I can for you, or at least in one aspect that I want you to understand, is that his study of being was kind of like, what does it mean to be? He brought it into question his his own being, his the being of a rock, their simultaneous being. What What does that mean? And uh, he pushed that we are never truly our authentic self, that we are thrown into our existence and our circumstances. You know, we're met by, I guess, mom and dad, and they've already got a lot of stuff that's been programmed and instilled in them, and they pass it down to you. And so you never really get to be your authentic self, which is kind of crazy to me because in order for you to be your authentic self, they would just throw you out in the street and see how things work for you. Maybe mom and dad and the previous generations before them learned a little something that was going to be more than helpful, that's going to help you live, thrive, and survive in society. But he points out that you cannot be your authentic self. And as I was listening to some people speak about Heidegger and reading some of his writings. You know, I kind of, I couldn't help but think about the hippies of the 60s. They were those kind of people, you know, drop a hit of acid and start thinking about what does it mean to be the true meaning of life. That's what Marcusa 
was exposed to Marx, Lenin, Gamachi, Heidegger, and all of them were trying to find what is it that's going to realign society to help with socialism, eventually communism, the overthrow of the evil capitalists. Unfortunately for Marcuse, Heidegger would become a Nazi, a member of the Nazi party, and go on to, I think, head one of their universities. But unfortunately for Marcuse, he was a Jew, and if it wasn't for that fact, he might have been more than happy to go along with Heidegger to help the uh, German people reimagine themselves in the Nazi Socialist Party. But like I said, I think he made the right move getting out of there because unfortunately, no matter how he might have been able to help Hitler in that movement, it was probably in his best interest to go ahead and get on out of there. And so he continues with the School of Frankfurt. I think they moved to another country. I think they keep the name School of the Frankfurt School, but they moved to some neutral country. He eventually finds himself in the U.S. He still has these passions of a reimagined society, an egalitarian society, equal outcomes. He's just like Lenin was. Where do I find my people to start this revolution? So a little bit more. I should probably tell you a little bit more by Herbert Marcuse, and I pulled up. His name is actually pronounced Marcusa looks like Marcuse, M-A-R-C-U-S-E. And what I really want you to understand is not so much who he was, but the people that he impacted. Let me give you some of those names. I mean, he, he influenced people such as Norman O. Brown, Angela Davis, Charles J. Moore, Abby Hoffman, Rudy Dutschke, and Robert M. Young, uh, Paul Maddock, and Noam Chomsky. I mean, these are some of the who's who of the 60s who had such an incredible effect on society and mainly, mainly young college kids. Herbert Marcuse or Professor Marcuse's main criticism of capitalism was that in the worker pursuing his job or working in a capitalist society that he was becoming just extensions of the corporations and losing his true self. This is where I think the Heidegger influence comes from when we or when they would stop and ponder, who are we truly? You know, I can't, I think of another professor during that time in California by the name of, uh, I think his name was Timothy Leary. Leary is probably well more well known for his uh, acid trips and his study of the mind on acid, for lack of a better term. But uh, his mantra was, turn on, tune in, and drop out, which became a mantra of the the 60s and the hippie generation. I mean, he was a serious psychologist at one time, but then lost his way. It could have been possibly because his wife committed suicide. They had experienced a lot of infidelity within the relationship and uh, did a lot of drinking. And so he loses his wife and he's probably in a, some type of an emotional tailspin. And then he goes on this a wide study of psychedelics and trying to tie that some somehow into psychology. As a side note, uh, Larry said in a uh, Playboy magazine interview. I mean, he he was he was very popular at the time, and people were buying into his crap. But according to him, you know, you could cure homosexuality. He said that uh, lesbians on LSD could be cured, and I can only imagine how he came to that deduction. I, because Larry was known to take part in his experiments. But there you go. you got a cure for homosexuality. Just uh, 
give a lesbian some LSD and bada bing, bada boom, she's cured now. With that being said, I'd have to say you could probably take a heterosexual male on an LSD trip and turn him into a homosexual. So I don't know how that, that study was confirmed. Let's say I doubt very seriously that it was peer-reviewed. But back to Mar- Professor Marcusa. Marcusa um, also put a little bit of Freudism in his uh, studies because he felt that the the whole society was sexually repressed and that repression kept them from being their true selves. Society had developed enough to where they could allow that sexual repression to go by the way. The whole free love. So, I mean, he's really playing into the whole hippie thing. I thought the the kids came up with this on their own but it seems like they they had some help from some people who at least at first glance had some credentials my personal uh, i'm not going to tell you what my personal impression of him is uh but anyhow he finds himself in america and he wants to push his lack of a better term we'll call it a hybrid marxism you know not only did he think that capitalism but he also thought that true communism pressed the true individual but as marx and i think marx is correct when he says socialism is a vehicle to communism for socialism to be really known at its full again lack of a better term value it's got to go to communism it just it just flies in the face of true freedom which does not come without some responsibility and accountability But in order to make people do things that are so unnatural, such as turn their wealth over or have their wealth redistributed, it's just not natural. It takes away the motivation of man. He doesn't mind doing his fair share, mind you, but to have a centralized authoritarian power make decisions on how that wealth should be distributed that's going to be that's going to be problematic like in most communist and social societies less and less people will produce because they don't have the motivation or the incentive that is truly the crux that's truly what kills socialism and communism because once there's a uh, understanding that you can have just as much as everybody else and not have to work or have to participate well more and more people are asking why am i killing myself i'll just hang out and Wait for my fair share to come around. So Professor Makusa, after having to leave Germany, I believe he did a stint, like I said, in some neutral state, might have been Switzerland, the, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory had to move. But he eventually found himself in California, the University of California, San Diego. So he has the same problem Lennon does. He looks around. He's like, okay, so where's my workers? And he knows the workers are not going to rise up. That has been something that... Everybody who has tried to tweak Marxism has realized is that the worker's just not going to rise up, and he's definitely not going to rise up in America. That's a hard sell. Socialism is a hard sell in America because people start to see just because you start at the bottom of the factory don't mean that you can't own a factory one day. Just because you're born in the lower strata of the socioeconomic fabric doesn't mean that you or your children or your grandchildren could not be in the highest echelon the, the socioeconomic fag, fabric that makes up this this country. And so it's a hard sell because people see 
people coming from nothing and becoming something and sometimes very, very wealthy. And even those who don't pursue just extreme wealth, they're more than comfortable with the lifestyle they're able to obtain. I mean, the vision of middle America in the 50s where dad goes to work and there's a nice clean home, there's a well-prepared meal at, at the table, everybody's happy, everybody's eating, and everybody has basically what they need. You know, this is just kind of it's kind of going to be kind of hard to get those kinds of people to rise up because either they they're very motivated and they they have aspirations or they're very content with where they are within the American dream. So he's got his work cut out for him. So the first people that he looks around and he sees that he can use are those people that are considered the bohemians. Those are the people that are on the outskirts of society. They're your artists, your musicians, your street philosophers. And, you know, if their music is good and their art's good, they're probably going to be okay. But otherwise, they're probably going to be eating out of a garbage can. What's that... Um, What's that old joke I heard? What do you call a rock musician without a girlfriend? And the punchline is homeless. You're homeless. So And so it is with these people right here. And, you know, they had a very snobbery thing. They just thought that they were smarter than the dude that stuck his nose to the grindstone and worked and just thought he was a doofus. And they were... In a way, they had their own type of snobbery, so he could count. He could count on those people. They were on the outer fringes anyway, but there wasn't enough of them. You know, there was only so many at at the corner of Hayton Asbury. There was only so many in Greenwich Village. Hardly enough to start a movement. But he was a professor, and he was on a college campus. And knowing how malleable the mind of a young person is transitioning from adolescence to adulthood, they're not fully formed. And a lot of these kids were coming from at least strong middle class, a lot of them affluent. They, they were offspring of the greatest generation. I mean, they, they really had big boots to fill. I mean, the greatest generation before them were the people who won World War II, some of the greatest expansions of technology, just just an incredible generation, a very successful generation. And so what are they going to do? Well, they, he's very fortunate because they're confused. They're coming up during the time of the 60s. You have, kind of like Lennon did, you've got uh, a war going on and you've got people who, I'm not going to say every one of them, but you've got a lot of people who, if they didn't dodge the draft altogether. They found ways. College was a way if your family had any type of affluency and had some type of political connections, they might be able to get you off from having to go over and, and fight in Vietnam. It was a very scary time. But, you know, rather than focus on them being cowards, you know, Makusa kind of flipped it all around. He made the uh, North Vietnamese the freedom fighters and that the then that America the evil capitalists. Now, you remember Lenin, that's what he did when those Russians, those disgruntled Russian soldiers came over. He was saying, hey, we need to take these guns and point them back towards the uh, true oppressors, which is your own country, your own government, your own institutions. So he had that going for him. And between these crazy philosophies of repressed sexuality, what does it truly mean to be one's authentic self? You know, he starts destructing and reimagining the, the social construct. Somehow Marcusa was able to stay out of jail and prison as some of these uh, kids would burn school buildings, occupy school buildings. 
and sometimes it would result sometimes in, in deaths. Uh, Kent State comes to mind, but he would take part in these. He would push, he would encourage this, would even come into some of these buildings that were occupied. So he was their mentor, the father of their movement. I don't know if he pushed the whole drug thing like Leary did. The, the left really holds people like Leary up and Marcusa up, but to me they were a recipe for or the, the collapse of American values, or they at least started, and it's, it is start and it's pervasive to this day, and it's been even more expanded than what they they could even possibly imagine. So Marcusa indoctrinates these young students, and he gives them a reason for living. Uh, they are now going to be the freedom fighters, and they're going to take on the evil United States of America and see that they support the freedom fighters of North Vietnam. Now, he would have to go to other places, although that gave him the numbers he needed. A couple other places he went to uh, augment his, we'll call them the workforce, or his army. The Black Power Movement was a movement ripe for this type of rhetoric. And I'm going to tell you right now, this, in my view, was truly the fault of America. It was the continuing curse of slavery in our society, the unwillingness to address the very real grievances from an oppressed people. Well, like so many things, someone comes along and says, you know, your country doesn't acknowledge you, they don't love you, hey, we got a place for you. Now, these puppeteers, they really don't care too much for the black power movement. They do really appreciate the possibilities of getting in there and exploiting this divisive relationship and using it to their own ends. And that's what they do. Let me get back to Marcuse. He's got the minds of the young students on the university. He turns them into an army. He got the minds of the Black Panthers and the Black Power Movement. And then he turns his uh, efforts onto the, the women's movement at the time. And just to reiterate, I think we can see that it has went to its full extent with uh, equality for women. And now we have gotten to a point to where we can't even define what a woman is. We are taking what was a movement to raise the image of the woman up to equality to a point to where just the other day we had a Supreme Court justice nominee who is a woman herself that cannot even define a woman. So I'm saying this because it's not just women that will become faceless, that will become sexless, that will have no personal identity. This is so necessary for a socialist and a communist society that you would be reduced nothing but to a number. Your whole being is to support the state ideology. Just like... uh, Lenin, just like what Gamachi preached, you know, you have to tear down, you have to reimagine, you know, those words were being used back then. They were not new words that were just started in the last six months or the last two years. When you hear things like reimagining the police department, reimagining education, reimagining history, these are all integral parts of tearing down the American construct if you will, its constitutions, it, its liberties, its its religions, its faith, its art, its art. You know, ever since I covered that thing where one of the agendas of uh, communists were to see that 
typical art, beautiful art, landscape art, uh, pictures of people and things, that they would be replaced with obscene, ugly images that have no meaning. They're twisted, which, you know, I think plays into high diggering uh, concept of what does it mean to be. Any of these people, Lenin, Marcusa, uh, Marx, would lend itself to a study that would could take years, could take absolutely years. This is not some type of um, what's scholarly work on my part. It's an inquiry that is meant to maybe give y'all some beginning of thought to these questions that I was asked by my good friend and my wife. Ed, how did we get here? And I would say that Marcusa had a high impact of it. And if you think that he stayed with the Marxist idea that in order to push Marxism, you have to take over the social constructs. You have to get you have to get these ideologies in the church. If you just don't absolutely destroy the church altogether, you have to get this ideology in the university and the campuses, which I would say he was very successful at doing. You have to get these kinds of people in civil service jobs. That's very important. If in your mind you think about of why there has to be such an indoctrination and such a filtration of all the things that make up our social construct and the things that they can infiltrate, they have to do away. They have to tear it. Anything that supports American institutions. That's some very plausible things that I put out there to at least get you thinking about it and not just being a vague question mark. I think there's a lot to be said about the 60s, the professors such as Marcusa, who I think was the most prolific and probably influenced a lot of other educators. And I think some of the things that he put forth are very obvious today that they were successful. They were successful. Can we turn back? I don't know. Because Marxism and socialism always has its uh, ability to fail, and it will ultimately always fail. The only thing that I'm concerned about is that we weaken, we fail, and some outside force just overtakes us. And then it won't, it won't even matter about our personal identities and our personal structures, our personal freedom stories, our struggles, because we're going to be under new management and it's not going to mean anything to them. So I would encourage you to stay the course with traditional American values. Frederick Douglass knew it. When Frederick Douglass was given the opportunity to return back to Africa after he was freed, he's like, you're crazy. This is my country. I love this country, and I love everything about it. I just want access to it. Don't want to tear it down. I would just like to take my God-given birthright, take my proper position into it. So God bless you and take you, keep you safe until the next time we get together on Over and Under. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for streaming the podcast. I truly do appreciate it. Hey, don't forget to leave a comment. And if you like what you heard today, hit subscribe and share with a friend. I thank you so much. You have a good day.